Hello, this is Barbara DeGran. I'm an abolitionist vegan from Texas in the USA. You can find me at veganacious.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello, I'm Macintosh. It sure is great to get out of that bag. And accustomed as I am to public speaking, I'd like to share with you a maxim I thought of the first time I made an IBM mainframe. Never trust a computer you can't with. Obviously I can talk, but right now I'd like to sit back and listen. So it is with considerable pride that I introduce a man who's been like a father to me, Steve Jobs. Good morning and welcome to Apple's 1984 annual shareholders meeting. I'd like to open the meeting with a part of an old poem, about a 20-year-old poem by Dylan. That's Bob Dylan. Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pens and keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again. And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin, and there's no telling who that it's naming. For the loser now will be later to win, for the times they are a-changing. From the original Mac with an 8 MHz CPU, to this iMac with a 2800 MHz quad-core CPU, 128 kilobytes of RAM, to 4 million kilobytes of RAM, from storage on 1.4 megabyte floppy disk drive, to this 1 million megabyte hard disk drive. The man who was like a father to all our mainstream technology, from Mac, to iPod, to iPhone, to iPad, and, with Pixar, to Infinity, and beyond. The greatest American of all time, excluding U.S. listeners of coexisting with non-human animals. Steve Jobs. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, the premier show of the Invercargill Vegan Society. Well... By default, actually, the only show of the Invercargill Vegan Society. Apple CEO Steve Jobs hasn't died. He stepped down from his position of CEO to being chairman of the board. I think he replaced Sinatra. Both of them have a reputation for, I did it my way. He hasn't died, although things aren't looking good. As I record this episode, I'm wearing my Steve Jobs Lives t-shirt. You get them for being a loyal little Apple customer for the low, low price of your mortal soul. I agree with Professor Gary Francione on most animal rights issues, but I really must disagree strongly on one particular issue. Here Professor Francione appears on episode 86 of NZ Vegan Podcast.
I think what's happened with, I mean, what, one of the things that that's happened is um, we've gotten people. I mean, materialism is a really serious problem. Major. We've gotten people. You know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it is just in the sense that we've gotten people to believe that the really important issues are, you know, when's the next iPhone coming out? And, I mean, really, it really is. It's appalling. I mean, it's it's beyond appalling. And so, I I um. I think that we, you know, we need to sort of move away from that right fast because if we don't, um, yeah, don't you know, finish I, it. I, We're doomed, is basically. Well, the I mean, only I mean, look, that- I, uh, you know, th- it's a really bad situation, but yet it's sort of we become so placid. It's like you know, it's it's it, as long as you know you don't take their smartphones. It's it's distressing. I I find it really very distressing because because we really become a very uh, placid group of people. I find your lack of faith disturbing. What would we do without the iPhone? How would we talk to one another, record videos of our chicken friends, show people photos of vegan advocism, advocism? activism and advocacy put together of course, (laughs) Uh, scan Twitter for anyone using the term vegan during our lunch breaks and reply to the ones saying, I'd like to be vegan but it seems so hard, with a genuine offer of friendly help and links to check out. No sir, a world without the iPhone is not one I'd want to live in. And Macs are well linked to alternative living, you know. <laughs> Mac people are more are 80% more likely to be vegetarians. I believe that too. We prefer hummus, they like tuna fish. But we don't have <laughs> enough money left over for meat. Maybe that's spend all our money on hard We'll eat Goya, Goya black beans and rice every single night to pay for the iPhone. Mac users are far more likely to be vegetarian. By my impeccable logic, that means all vegans must use all Apple products. All of the lights. This song reminds me of Mr. Rooster, bold feathers and exuberant self-confidence. I hold my head, MJ gone, I'm dead. I had to take them to that ghetto university. Going to Borders, an American chain of uh, book stores? Not anymore, you won't. Books. 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 You may know them as the thing Amazon tells you you might be interested in when you're buying DVDs. But did you know that books used to be available in what were called bookstores? Well, they were. The bookstore chain Borders is going out of business. Borders just could not keep up with 21st century technology and trends. The latest brick and mortar victim of a digital age. Borders. Now where am I gonna return all my guest books for store credit? <clears throat> There's stuff bookstores can do uh-huh. that the internet can't. Oh, you mean like shelter the homeless? 
I'm talking about having authors visit stores. Oh, uh, well, now we're just splitting hairs. <laughs> The, re the reality is there's, there's nothing more depressing than seeing some pasty shut-in author bare his soul in front of a half-filled row of folding chairs. <laughs> Believe me, I know. <laughs> the big box bookstore has passed into history. And that's something we should embrace and be proud of by preserving Borders as a popular historical attraction. Like uh, Colonial Williamsburg. Well, yeah, exactly. Bring the kids down to ye olde Borders town. <laughs> Let them see what it felt like to paw through a clearance bin of word-a-day calendars or sneak a peek at pornography printed on actual paper right there on the giant rack of weird magazines you've never heard of. You know, I think a, a bookstore preserve might appeal to a, a very small market. Well, it can't be smaller than the market of people who buy books anyway. <laughs> this is what it'll be like. Hey, gather around, youngins, and come see how we used to sell this here itty-bitty book light. Because in the 1980s, pages didn't glow, and eye strain was a sign of wealth. Well, thank you very much. John Hodgman, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's like the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movie, You Got Mail, or You've Got Mail. You Got Mail is what it says, right? But it's called You've Got Mail. And yes, I do realize I'm the only guy in the world to like that old romantic comedy, the one about the giant evil corporation and the small independent company struggling to compete where the bad guy uses an awful PC, and the nice woman who's genuine and trustworthy and has a heart of gold, she uses a Mac. See, that's how the filmmaker lets you know that who's bad and who's evil in a movie, what operating system they use. Not very subtle, really. Of course, that movie is from 1998, <laughs> back when Apple really was an underdog, <laughs> near bankrupt, unlike the Apple monopoly of today, which we all know and love, the second largest publicly traded company in the world, second only to ExxonMobil. Who would buy a paper book in 2011? Surely we can exchange text online, near instantly, anywhere in the world, in your car, house, glass house, as a hen friend sits on your leg, anywhere, and did I mention it's free? No more cutting down trees, where nice chickens might like to sleep overnight. And as for ghetto universities, those are the kind where the students still use pen and paper. A few New Zealand schools are going all iPad, with either the devices being given by the school to students, or they are expected to bring their own computer device with them, with an iPad 2 suggested as the perfect combination of incredibly low price, lightweight, 10-hour battery life, and downright magic. South Korea is going all digital for student resources by 2015. America? Well, I hear Yale, one of those cheap, easy-to-get-in colleges, is offering iPads, and although, in my understanding, an American college is a university where college means high school in New Zealand. So Yale is not quite like Aurora College, the, the original school of hard knocks down the road from me, where every student gets given an iPad, so, um, the Americans, they'll eventually catch up with the world's movers and shakers, like the great nation of New Zealand. We want a vegan revolution, and what better way to change the world than by devoting your life to a colossal corporation? This stuff is important, you know. You just have to listen to this I Tuned Steve Jobs video, complete with autotune, from the introduction of the original model way back in 2007. Get out your electric air guitar, or there's probably an app for that. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. That changes everything. Apple's been very fortunate 
It's been able to introduce a few of these in the world. In 1984, we introduced the Macintosh. It didn't just change our upline, it changed the whole computer industry. In 2001, we introduced the first iPod. And it didn't just change the way we all listen to music, it changed the entire music industry. Well, today, we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one is a widescreen iPod is a widescreen iPod, is a widescreen iPod. The second is a revolutionary model. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet device. Breakthrough internet device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communication. An iPod. A phone and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? Getting it, getting it. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone, 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 iPhone. Yes, myself, Emmy James and Barbara DeGrand all have magical iPhones and we all love them very much. If you must go to the dark side, Android, well, Google also can claim a link to veganism, although it's tenuous at best. My friend Kathy shared this video from Google with me, explaining how the new Plus One works. This is mainstream, a how-to video, and it just happens to name drop veganism. We're in the mainstream. There's a lot of great stuff out there on the web, waiting to be discovered. But it's hard to know where to look for the latest on all the stuff you're into. Wouldn't it be great if the content you find interesting came to you? Sparks brings you stories on the things you love, whether it's cutting-edge fashion, or the latest comic books. It's like someone finding articles they know you'll like, then sending the links your way. So it's easy to find inspiration for meaningful conversations. For example, let's say you have a thing for vegan cooking. Sparks might serve you links to raw food recipes, helpful videos, or blogs from fellow chefs. Once you find something that catches your interest, it only takes a click or two to share it with the right circles. Who knows, it might just spark up a conversation with a friend. As you add interests over time, Sparks becomes a place to keep track of the things you care about. So strike up a conversation about pretty much anything, one eccentric hobby at a time. The eccentric hobby was breakdancing. The strike up a conversation shows a comment being left on the video, a really original, thought-provoking comment on this super breakfast. Quote, it's not super without meat, with an unhappy face, to which the hypothetical vegan replies with, I beg to differ. I think it's great that Google, this huge company we all know and, uh, well, not love the way we love Apple, we all know and sort of like, well, that's Facebook. Okay, we, plus one, that Google would use veganism as an example, 
It shows that vegans are mainstream, that people do know what veganism is, to the point it doesn't need its own how-to video, that it actually appears as a simple example in one. For a while now, there's been this guy who rants on that guide dogs for the blind are no longer needed, who wants to be pulled around by a harnessed dog all day. No, as always, technology to the rescue. A magic glove that sends out magic radio waves, sonar style, or like the reversing sensors on a modern Japanese or German car. Pressure is applied on either side of the glove. If something is coming up on your right, then the right side feels tighter, and it has a different pressure levels too, depending on how close the obstacle is. Much more subtle than some dog dragging you about. This is Tacit, a device that gives sonar to the blind, helping them navigate complex environments. The prototype works by sending out ultrasonic pulses from the front of the device. A microcontroller reads the time it takes for the pulses to return, then tells servo motors to rotate, putting varying amounts of pressure on the wrist. When objects are far away, there is little to no pressure. The closer the object, the firmer the pressure. Tacit has a fast response time, quickly allowing a user to sense what is in an area with the sweep of a hand. It can be worn on the right or left hand and requires almost no training to use. It can easily be put on and taken off by touch alone. From the back of the hand, it can be aimed anywhere and doesn't interfere with the sense of touch or general use of the hands. Rather than just pointing out problems to be seen as complaining all the time, it's nice to be able to provide an animal-friendly answer, and one that's technically better too. Rather than training other animals as our guides, we can instead leave them alone and rely on man's new best friend, technology. Here are some local New Zealand stories about farming. The New Zealand Herald reported on a bizarre incident. Quote, A female Bay of Plenty farm worker was told by her boss to take her apron and bugger off and a milking shed flare-up that ended with her sacking. Catherine Drawbridge was also call, called oh, a silly female dog <laughs> by Fakatane farmer Greg Malcolm, whose company has been ordered to pay thousands of dollars in compensation after the Employment Relations Authority ruled Miss Drawbridge was unjustifiably dismissed. Miss Drawbridge's last day, after more than four years as a milker at a Waimana Valley farm, came on the morning of New Year's Eve last year, when Mr. Malcolm unexpectedly arrived at the milking shed, she said. She, she said, he said, they said, Miss Drawbridge, jeez. She said Mr. Malcolm yelled at the dog she had with her, causing it to run into the shed pit, before telling her, there's no dogs allowed in the pit, and pulling it out by its collar. She then grabbed Mr. Malcolm's hand, and he let the dog go. Mr. Malcolm said he then told Miss Drawbridge to bugger off because he was annoyed at her dog in the milking shed that it was chasing cows and that she did not respond to repeated requests to remove it. <laughs> he claimed the catalyst for the blow-up was when she threw a piece of alkathene pipe at him after she heard him call her a silly female dog. The story goes on to show how she was upset about being fired, mental health issues from being treated this way, and she sued the farm manager for a few thousand dollars compensation, presumably for referring to another animal as an it, I would expect. Well, this is a dairy farm, where exploitation of others is business as usual. So essentially, 
A farm worker had a dog with her. It was always respectfully labelled an it over and over in the story. The farm manager went nuts claiming this dog was a problem, that they would scare the cows. He yelled at the dog, who ran away from him, as you know, as you would, further into the milking shed. And then he yanked the dog by their collar, in itself a sign of possession. The woman was fired from her job of stealing mother's milk from another, forcibly impregnated mammal. And what caused all this? Well, apparently because the farm worker threw a piece of plastic pipe at the manager. Why did there happen to be a length of pipe lying around? Well, simple. I've spoken with farmers before about these pipes. They carry them as a sort of baton, or baton, depending on how you say it. <laughs> they politically corrected up into an arm extension to hit the cows and to try and make them obey you. Now, I'm sure they'd say, oh, it's just a little tap on the back. Somehow I doubt that. When a large mammal several times the farm worker's weight is not moving as quickly as they'd like her to, what do you expect to happen? For them to tap her slower and softer? Not exactly. Hell, look at how the farm manager reacted, reacted to having the thing thrown at him. He didn't exactly like it very much, and it's not like he gets tapped with the damn thing every day. I was interested to notice the quote, piece of alkathene pipe, in the story, having heard other farmers talking about them before. I get an image of Eric Cartman from South Park, respect my authority. <laughs> Uh, yes, officer? Uh, clocked at 40 miles an hour back there. Do you know what the speed limit is, you know? Well, according to that sign right there, it's 40 miles an hour. Step out of the car, please, sir. Wait a second. Aren't you Stan's little friend? Sir, step out of the car, please. Yeah, you're the one who always plugs up the toilet at our house. Hey, I'm a cop, and you will respect my authority. Yeah, right. You better get back to school, little boy. Mm. Oh! Get your ass to jail! It's easy to feel like a big shot when you're bossing around a recent mother, tapping her with your little plastic pipe. Another odd story. A ten-year-old boy lost in the New Zealand bush, the forest, while out pig-killing with adults. Reading from a Southern Times article, Walking through 21 kilometres of bush by himself, Bailey Reed had just one thing running through his mind. I thought, it has to end somewhere, so I just kept going, he said. Back at home in Winton yesterday, Bailey, 10, said he had been pig hunting with two of his mother's friends near Lumsden on Sunday and become separated from them. They had disappeared into the scrub to chase a pig, telling him to stay behind in a clearing. Bailey decided to go after them. Just a few short minutes later, he realised he was really lost. Dressed in just a fleece t-shirt and trousers, unable to hear or see anybody else, and armed with a backpack containing bottled water, a couple of packets of potato chips and some chocolate bars, he battled through the rugged terrain for nearly five hours by himself. It seemed like a whole day went by, he said. Yesterday, he was still nursing sore limbs, with his hands full of prickles from holding on to bushes while trying to climb up the steep hillside. Really, it doesn't sound like a safe hobby for a ten-year-old, for a couple adults to tell a kid dressed in a t-shirt to stay put in the middle of nowhere 
while they ran after a possibly shot and wounded pig with their guns at the ready to shoot them again. Surely you could have fun in other ways. Might I suggest an iPhone for the adults, an iPod Touch for Master Reed? One more story, also from the Southern Times, about the world-renowned Waituna Lagoon that I used to go kayaking on, and which is being ruined by pollution, and guess where the pollution is coming from? Neighbouring farms. The headline is, Farmers Feel Victimised. Quote, Farmers say they are being victimised over the Waituna Lagoon, and that a backlash against all farmers being called polluters is growing in the south. A farmers-only meeting has been called tonight for farmers from the Waituna catchment area. The notice calling farmers to the meeting asks, Are you sick of being Southland's biggest environmental scapegoat? Joanne Crack, who farms with her husband in the catchment and helped to organise the meeting, said farmers were at, quote, boiling point. Quote, we want to voice our opinion on the way forward without big organisations sticking their noses in. Falling equity, an environmental scientist telling farmers how to run their farms, was starting to irk them, she said. The Waituna Lagoon has been at the centre of attention in Southland after it was revealed it was on the brink of disaster through the accumulations of nutrients and sediment. And by the way, nutrients? Yeah, that means uh, you know dairy cow shit. Basically, they call it nutrients. Waituna sheep farmer Ray McCrusty, who will chair the meeting, said farmers were vowing to make a stand before regulations were imposed. Farmers in the catchment were feeling victimised, singled out, and under attack, he said. He said he had anecdotal evidence, which he would present at the meeting. Quote, We acknowledge this community has received bad press over prosecutions, but these people are a minority. No one is denying there is a problem. A lot of good people live in this area, and they believe that something must be done, but we are afraid that we are damned if we do, and damned if we don't. <sighs> you know, geez, how, do, how do they do this, you know, this kind of stuff? Farmers not wanting to talk about the issue. A, it'll go away, head in the sand type attitude. Wow, the media is picking on us. They blame us for all the pollution we dump in the priceless wetlands. Why do they blame big business for the pollution we cover the country with? Wow, why is Environment Southland? What are they doing? Who are they to tell big industry what we can and can't do with our pollution when it comes to dumping it in the environment of Southland? It's not like it's their job or anything. The New Zealand Green Party is not all vegan. Far from it. They advocate strongly for welfare reforms, larger cages, organic milk, to be taken from forcibly impregnated mother cows. Politicians won't lead a movement for animal rights. Duh, hey guys, how about 1% of you buggers are vegan, so uh, how about we persecute and prosecute everyone who isn't vegan, locking up 99% of the country if they dare carry on business as usual after Invisoc wins 1% of the vote. Yeah, the Invisoc party would be far from in total control of the population, I can tell you that. Not yet anyway. To quote 1984, if there is hope, it lies in the proles. And I think by that, George Orwell meant the proles as creative, non-violent vegan education at a grassroots level, maybe. We have two large political parties in New Zealand, Labour and National, coalition governments between one huge party and a couple microscopic ones to make the 51% threshold. The la latest poll cited in the Herald shows centre-left party Labour is screwed. Farmers feel cheated 
by the centre-right national, which agrees with climate change regulations, etc. Well, to some extent, I haven't been keeping up on it, but the Green Party would have a million times, not quite, more regulation for climate change and pollution than the centre-right national. Anyway, this isn't America. Generally, even our right-wingers agree to some extent over evolution, gun control, climate change, and whether Steve Jobs is the greatest American of the past hundred years, to which the answer for all is resoundly, yes. Well, all except the Conservative Party, who left a pamphlet in my letterbox recently. They have a page all about prosperity, and it offers such practical and totally inspirational headlines as you want prosperity, you want to worry less about money, you want a country of opportunity in which the average family is getting richer, not poorer, you want a plan that leads to prosperity. <sighs> Home of the New Zealand farmer, with a photo of a man hugging a farm dog, with a herd of sheep behind him. Well that was really specific, that you know, you want to be rich, you don't want to be poor, do you? No, 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 vote for us because we'll make you rich because you don't want to be poor. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <sighs> Farming, the foundation of our economy. New Zealand is a world leader in farming. We have lots of land, a great climate, and farmers with skills second to none. The vast majority of our export receipts are derived from farming exports, and success in the farming industry influences the wider economy for the better right across the board. Yak, yak, yak. Um, the emission trading scheme. And this is in brackets. How to shoot yourself in the foot. The emission trading scheme is a great example of how not to help an economy. A tax that sees the everyday person paying more for power and fuel, and that, over time, increments to have a larger economic impact. Very importantly, it directly raises the cost to our businesses, while our three main trading partners have no such scheme. We are choosing to trade at a disadvantage, which is just plain stupid. <laughs> there is, of course, much scientific debate. What? over the effect of human activity on the environment, and views range from having little to no impact to the end of the world, oh my god, ah! scenario. However, what is agreed on is that New Zealand reducing emissions has little to no impact on a worldwide scale. <sighs> we should get rid of this tax immediately with cheaper fuel and electricity across the board, and especially for our producers. <sighs> Where to begin? So this idea that, hey, you know, that country to our left and the country to our right, all those other countries, they're not doing it yet. You know, what I whatever happened to making the polluter pay for making their own pollution? Instead we have each unwilling country pointing their finger at another. They're not doing it. Well, you're not doing it, so I won't do it. Yeah, yeah, they're not doing it either. Whatever happened to the New Zealand who flew before the Wright brothers? The first country in the world to give women an equal respect to men, to allow them to vote, to count as a full citizen. To ban nuclear materials. Do we really want to go down on Wikipedia as the nation who dragged its feet over pollution laws? Come on, let's be first in the world again. The Green Party is not vegan. It does not promote veganism. It promotes larger cages, animal welfare. It has at least one vegetarian MP, who I heard say with my own ears, Yeah, well, it's a personal choice and which got loud boos at the National Animal Rights Conference, where the victories were about larger cages. Uh, oddly, we feel comfortable booing a guy for effectively saying we can't expect everyone to be vegetarian, or vegan, while we also tell each other, hey, we have to take small steps, they're not ready for vegan activism. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? The Greens are not vegan, 
Yet farmers go on and on about bloody greenies, that the greenies ruin everything, that this country would be swallowed up by the sea or invaded by Australia if the greenies had their way, if famine didn't take care of us first, that is. The ACT Party is somewhat far right, though very similar in many respects to the Democrats up there in the US of A. goes to show that America has two parties, fairly far right and exceedingly far right, with maybe one or two other parties technically around, we're lucky to get five votes in total in a country of 300 million people. ACT have also been portraying themselves openly as the Farmers' Party. They are the most anti-climate change government regulation, which no doubt in includes environmental agencies who have to put up some kind of token whimper of protest to large industry, dumping pollution, and internationally recognised wonders of the world. Immigration... All the stuff farmers love. So, let's compare the numbers, shall we? If, as a vegan, I have to be a greenie, voting for the Greens in their marvellous give hens larger cages and kill other sentient beings nicely nonsense, and the farmers, they all have to vote ACT, who actually has the largest share of votes? Well, from the latest New Zealand Herald poll, centre-right national would continue to run the government next election, Coming up in a few months, they could actually govern alone. They are that popular right now. The poll predicts that they have about 52% of the vote, with centre-left Labour on a dismal 31.5%. Labour can't do anything right. Well, correct. Actually, a huge 9.8% goes to the Greens. Over, just about 10% for the Greens. It's bloody amazing, really. And every other party, there's at least five small ones we hear about all the time, they fill in others with a grand 6.7%. So every small party combined is smaller than the Greens, and that includes, well, ACT, who labels itself the Farmers Party, and also this, the Conservative Party. Yeah, they are in others, with ACT having predicted votes of 1.2%. <laughs> they would only have their party leader, Don Brash, who tried to be Prime Minister two elections ago for National, being represented in Parliament. If it comes down to the greenies, quote, you know, high welfare and organic and nicely killed other animals and their bodily secretions, versus the Farmers' Party, ACT, from the polls prediction, it's 9.8% versus 1.2%. Rounding out 0.2% each way, guys, that's 10 versus 1. There are 10 times more greenies as the Farmers' Party voters. Something to think about. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Zealand Politics for Beginners, the first of a 200-part series, 400 hours in total, lectured in a monotone voice. As the Invercargill Vegan Society started gaining members other than myself, I noticed a weird pattern. The first people who joined as members who actually live here in Invercargill, New Zealand, their first names, in order, Jordan, Dan, Natalie, Ricky, Rich, Russell, Noel, J-R-D-N. I couldn't believe it. J-R-D-N? It's Jordan in text language. It was as if I'd only dreamt the whole Invercargill Vegan Society having more than one member thing. <laughs> I was horrified to realise this. It was like a wonderful thing had been taken from me. Like my iPhone, my precious, had been stolen. And by a thief, Bagginses, too. I've long been against the idea of charging money for animal rights related causes. All kinds of welfare approved labels bringing in money to large groups and charging membership fees. 
Surely, we're doing this to help other animals, not to feather our nests, right? Well, six members paying 20 New Zealand dollars a year membership fee. That's $120, about 100 American bucks. Okay, so that pays for my iPhone's monthly $10 data pack on 2 Degrees Network, $120 a year. A new iPhone brought outright is 1200 odd New Zealand dollars. So, with the full membership dues from six members, that's a new iPhone each decade. Awesome! If I start taxing now, sorry, uh, being reimbursed for the incredible expense members place upon me, then iPhone 14, you shall be mine! I'm now a careerist in the movement. The ring is mine. I'm her forever lover, you know, don't you remember? Well, after loving me, uh, she says she couldn't love another. Is that what she said? Yeah, she said it. You keep dreaming. I don't believe it. No, the girl is mine. No, mine. mine. She mine, 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 mine. mine, mine. The girl is mine. And then, there's all those new vegans living in Invercargill, New Zealand that I'm coming across. The latest members, Alicia and Sophie, who moved here from the Earthquake City, Christchurch, taking Inversox members, who actually live in Invercargill, up to nine. You know, like, the nine and the Fellowship of the Ring and everything. The Fellowship of the Ring, I guess. <laughs> and there are still more vegans living here to be met, and membership dues to be paid. Hooray! Alicia's A lets me buy our first vowel from the board. And Sophie, uh, that makes it Jordans, as in the plural, more than one. So, our next and tenth member must have an O at the beginning of their first name. Any vegans called Olivia, or Oliver, or Optimus Prime, or Olympia, or Odin? Getting a bit ancient deity there. And living in Invercargill? Please, do get in touch. With those kinds of numbers, nine vegans that I've met so far in person, who live here, hell, we'll have a vegan restaurant here any day now. Just so long as I buy a meal every Monday, Dan goes every Tuesday, Rich on Wednesdays, Natalie and Ricky on Thursday, Russell and Noel on Friday, 
and Alicia and Sophie on the Saturday. Hmm, well, I guess I can go on Sunday and Monday, two days in a row, right? I mean, I'm going to be the one running the place. My restaurant can thrive with one customer a day, um, right? That works out to a $200 all-you-can-eat rice, beans, bread and tap water banquet. Watch out, loving heart. Well, Inversoc is thriving, up to nine members now, with about another five vegans here that I know of and am yet to meet. That's nearly 50% more. A 14-member vegan society at the bottom of the world. Now you're talking. Let's put it into perspective. Most of the Invercargill Vegan Society's members who live in Invercargill, well, the minority I add, they were not born here. Typically, they seem to have been vegan and moved to Invercargill to study at the Southern Institute of Technology. As far as I know, from our nine members I've met, only myself and Rich were born in this great city. That's two out of nine. And as far as I know, Five years ago, there really wasn't any vegans living here, truly. Dan was the first other vegan I'd met living here, and she had only been in Invercargill for a year or two at that time. It goes to show, look how far we've come in five years, from having one vegan that I knew of, myself, in 2010, to starting the Invercargill Vegan Society in the very last days of 2010, to appear a whole year more established for when we eventually get a grotesquely impressive marble building, Invisoc is 2010, carved out the front, to suddenly gaining eight other members in 2011, so far. Why, if membership dues, uh, sorry, beloved and totally respected members, keep skyrocketing at that rate, maybe I'll be able to buy an iPhone 5 before long. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.co.nz If you want to contact me, I'd really love to hear from you. Please send me an email to jwontdart at gmail.com j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t at gmail.com And visit the Invercargill Vegan Society's website as well, invsoc.org.nz I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I'd love to be your friend. Jordan Wyatt. J-O-R-D-A-N-W-Y-A-T-T Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you certainly better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.